Are you all ready to hear some truth this morning? Amen. Amen. You know, God is good, and we, uh, we're thankful to be a part of Memorial Baptist Church. We're thankful to be back from our uh, little trip to Floydata. And um, Nathan and Ashley and uh, First Baptist Church of Floydata are all doing very well. And um, it's a blessing to be able to go to those parts and to see a part of Texas we really haven't been uh, spent much time in. We've passed through there before, but we really haven't spent much time there. And I do have to say, the wind blows there a lot. Um, but it's a beautiful, beautiful area, beautiful church. If you're passing through First Baptist Church, Floydata, that's where Nathan and Ashley are. So, uh, you know, if you want to drop them a, a note or you want to send them an email or something, I, I know they'd appreciate it. But um, you know what? I love you, church family. And I missed worshiping with you last week. I missed it. And you know, I, I really appreciate those who are leading us in worship. You know, we, we, we have a wonderful worship team that is leading us into the throne room each week. I mean, Macy Tanner, um, I'm just very thankful for her and what she is doing and, and, and leading us, her and Kyle, and, and um, for Corey uh, Jumper and um, uh, Casey uh, for, for their part in, in, in helping us, uh, for Doug Bergert uh, coming and, and playing the drums for us. Uh, thank you, brother. And um, also for um, Samantha Foster and, and uh, Hannah Davis. Um, I'm just very thankful for people who are willing to step up and lead the body in worship. And I love to hear us as we sing praises to our King. <laughs> you know, we've gathered in this place on this Lord's Day, and we collectively sing together, mixing our song as one voice. I mean, think about this. All week long, you can worship however you choose. We come together as a body and we lift our voice together to the Lord. What a beautiful thing. And listen, as we worship each week, you need to understand we try to limit distractions as best we can. It's not our idea when the sound system goes off or there's a glitch in the computer system or things like that. We try to limit that and take that out of the equation so that we can focus Individually and collectively, we can focus on our Lord Jesus Christ. But you need to understand something. I don't want to be the focus of your attention. I don't want to be the focus of your attention. My desire for you and for me is for our Lord Jesus to be the focus of our attention. That as we come collectively to worship, it's about Him. The last thing I desire to do is take attention away from Jesus Christ and put it on myself. It's not about me. And by the way, it's not about you. It's about Him. That's why we're here. It's about Him. And let me say that, that we are at a unique time and a place in history. 
We are at a unique time and place in the history of our nation. Our nation has never been where we are today. We are at a unique time and and, and, and place in the history of the church. And I would say specifically that we are at a unique time and situation and place in the history of our church. I mean, a few of you have recently and appropriately voiced a concern about a desire to hire a music minister. When are we going to hire a music minister? Are we looking for a music minister? And that is the way that we have functioned in the past. And so it makes sense and it follows that we would do the same in the future. So I encourage you, let's all be praying for God's direction and God's discernment concerning that. I mean, as your pastor, I realize that waiting on God makes all of us uncomfortable. I mean, we are a church in an affluent society, a consumeristic society that's used to having to make many choices and getting exactly what we want right now. You know it and I know it. We fulfill most of our needs and wants by purchasing stuff. By going out and finding what we want and getting it. And just calling it good. And we don't have to wait on God for any of it. It makes us uncomfortable to wait on God. I mean, what if God is leading our church in a different direction? What if he's leading us in a new direction? What if God is teaching us about real worship and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our worship? It gives us reason to stop and think. Why are we waiting on God? Maybe because we need to wait on God. Because what if worship is not about you and it's not about me and it's not about the music? It's all about Him. And we have wonderful volunteers that are stepping up every week to help us out. Praise God. I mean, I understand that each one of us wants to use our spiritual gifts to serve the Lord, edifying and building up the body of Christ. I mean, that's what we we desire to do. And I believe that God is moving us away from our comfort zones and into new and creative fields of ministry. I know Jim and Monica never imagined they would be doing what they're doing today. And many of the rest of us couldn't either. See, there are myriads of opportunity in our community for our people to use their gifts and their talents that God has given them. Think about this. Just open your eyes and look. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, 
our director of missions, Tom Henderson, Dr. Tom Henderson, he called me and asked me if there were two or three families from our church that would be willing to go for a time and serve in the Pendleton Church. Obviously, there is a vacated void there now. And we have a connection with that church. It would, it would make sense that, that, that there would be some that would, would desire to do that, to in, in incorporate that. And I mean, you talk about a community of people that need encouragement, that need some help, that need some ministry. I'm not, I'm not asking you to go do that if God's not putting it on your heart. But what I am saying is this. There is opportunity galore for ministry and service all around us. I want to encourage all of us to stop focusing on what we want. And start meeting the needs of others. I mean, let's be thankful Let's be thankful for where God is leading us and what God is teaching us. I mean, God's teaching us about worship. I love that. Thank you, God, for teaching us. Because sometimes we have it all messed up. We think it's about what we want, and it's not. By the way, probably the biggest problem in our church is not about worship. The biggest problem we have right now is a love problem. I mean, we've lost our first love. We're not passionate about God or about His Word. All you have to do is take a look at the numbers in Sunday school and we recognize we're not passionate about God and his word. I mean, we're not passionate about Sunday school. We're not excited about it. I mean, when was the last time you invited someone to come to Sunday school? When was the last time you encouraged them and brought them with you? See, we got a love problem. And part of it is, is we don't want to bring people with us we, don't, we, we, we choose not to, and as long as we can take it or leave it, as long as Bible study with fellow believers is optional, we won't show up on time, and we won't end on time. And there's little reverence or priority for gathering around God's Word. And it follows that since we're indifferent towards God's word, that we want to focus the attention somewhere else because our commitment to the Lord, our commitment to his word, our commitment to his body is not what it should be. So we want to divert that and and look at something else because it can't be about us. It can't be about my commitment to him because there's nothing wrong here. I asked Jesus into my heart when I was seven years old. And you know what? That relationship is good. You know what? I say we got a love problem. Because maybe we're not excited about what God is doing 
in and through his word. We're not excited about what God is doing in his worship. We're not excited about what God is doing in our Sunday school. I mean, come on, people. I mean, I remind you. I remind you to consider ancient Israel. Do you remember? They wanted a king. They wanted a ruler over them, just like every other nation had. We want what they've got. But God himself... God himself, the Almighty, wanted to be their king. And they wouldn't quit complaining. They wouldn't quit grumbling. And so he gave them a king. Do you not see that God himself wants to fill our worship? That God himself wants to fill us? And all we can do is talk about what we don't have rather than what we do have. I mean, I ask the question, when will Jesus be enough for us? When will Jesus be enough for us? In Romans chapter 12, I want to read a few verses of this. Because today, the church is struggling for renewal. Think about that. The church is struggling for renewal. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it begins, he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another." Verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Father, for all that you are at work doing in our world and in our church, in our lives, in our homes. Father, we give you praise. And we recognize that the desires that you give us, Father, come from you. And Father, they're they're not bad. 
But Father, we seek the giver and not the gifts. We want you, God. I pray, Father, that Jesus would be enough for us. I pray, Father, that you would renew our church. I pray, Father, that you would guide us in all truth. That your Holy Spirit would indwell us and fill this place. And God, that we would willingly submit to you, our King. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, the church is struggling for renewal today. In Romans 12, it spells out the nature of the struggle. Conformity to the world or transformation to God's will? Conformity to the world or transformation to God's will? That's the struggle. Either we are conforming to the things of this world or we are being transformed to the will of God. Those two are not the same thing. They're complete opposites. See, this was also the struggle, if you remember, of the Corinthian church between the carnal and the spiritual. It was also the struggle of the church at Laodicea between the cold and the lukewarm and the hot. See, the burning question today is what will we do with the church? Will we attack it? Well, they're not doing what I want to do. Will we criticize it? Will we neglect it? Do we just give up and say, well, I'm not going? Will we quit the church? See, not even Jesus did that. Although he saw that the churches were in deep trouble, he's the one that pointed them out. He's the one that said there's a problem here. See, what is our response? That's, that's the issue. How will we respond once we know? I mean, our prayer should be the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi as he knelt to the empty and forsaken chapel at San Damiano. He said, Lord, renew my church. Folks, that's what we need is renewal. Renewal. We need the Spirit of God poured into us once again, new and afresh. We need something that we can be passionately in love with. And it's not just about drinking the juice and eating the bread. How are we living that out? You see, that prayer, renew my church is to be answered. If it's to be answered, there's three truths that I want to share quickly with you that need to be used as steps in order for the survival of the church. The first one is this. We must admit that the church is in trouble. We can stick our head in the sand all we want. We can pretend there is nothing wrong. We can go on business as usual, doing the status quo, maintaining appearances. But the reality is, each one of us knows that the church is in trouble. 
William Russell Maltby, he says that Jesus promised those who follow him only three things. He said they will be absurdly happy, they will be entirely fearless, and they will be always in trouble. The trouble that I refer to today relates to our effectiveness. Relates to our effectiveness. I mean, there's several areas where the church is in trouble, and I want to I help you with those. And I'm going to set these like, um, you know, bowls of, 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 large bowls of pasta or beans or salad on the table, and, and like it's being served family style, okay? I'm going to set them out there, and, and, and what I'm going to say is this, what you decide to do with it. Whatever you decide to do, whether you decide to do something with it or about it, is up to you. But recognize and make no mistake about it, we all own all of this. You may not want to deal with it. You may say, you know, today I'm not feeling the salad. Today I'm not feeling the pasta. Today I'm not feeling the the beans or whatever. But what I'm getting at is we own it as the body of Christ. The problem, one of the problems is divisions. You know, only Christ Jesus could bring uh, together the Jews and the Gentiles into the early church. Only Christ could do that. But you know, today, in the divisions in the church, they are multifaceted, and this is not even an exhaustive list that I want to give you. Think about this. How things are at odds and where the enemy has come into the body of Christ. The gospel versus this culture. The culture that we live in. They don't want to hear the gospel. Matter of fact, they're going to, they're going to crucify you if, if you talk about the gospel. And I'm not talking about out there. I'm talking about in here. Divisions in the church between the gospel and our culture. The divisions in the church about the gospel and poverty. The gospel and abortion. The gospel and marriage. It's all under attack and it's within the church body. Evangelism versus that deeper walk, discipleship. See, in these divisions, we need to decide where we stand and where we come down on them. Because you can't be a friend to the world and a friend to God at the same time. You either take on the world's values or you take on God's values. But you can't do both. See, there's the problem of divisions, but there's also the problem of inconsistency. There's a gap between what we profess and what we produce. I mean, Jesus said in John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, the Christian life is the way of life. And the way that we walk isn't always consistent with the way that we talk. 
See, as believers in our resurrected king, we ought to be leading the way in consistency. We ought to be the ones that people can count on and and see our walk of faith and know exactly where we're going to be because they've watched us walk that journey. But so many times we are all over the page. Our walk needs to be consistent because apart from Christ, there is no other way. We also have the problem of irrelevancy. See, the outside world, they they look at the church and, and, and they say the church is consumed by its own programs, its own things, not people. And even in the programs, the programs that they have are irrelevant. I mean, if the church possessing salvation and hope does not witness by life and by word and by deed, then we don't have, we don't have, our very existence becomes irrelevant. I mean, think about it. You profess salvation, you profess hope, you profess peace. But if you have no peace in your life, if there's no salvation, if there's no hope, what are you professing? It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. And that's what the world is seeing. James says it this way. Faith without works is dead. Then there's the problem of inability. I mean, we're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. (laughs) We have the power to preserve society and to dispel moral darkness. But we fail to use it. We have the problem of isolation. I mean, Elton Trueblood says that the church is isolated geographically to a particular place, a building. And most people, when they think of the church, they think of the church building. And we've also been isolated temporally because really we only meet on Sunday mornings, technically. And so we're isolated by a building and a time and place. But truly, we know the difference. We are the church. And this is where we meet. I mean, it's also been isolated in personnel. I mean, limiting responsibility to professional clergy, just to the staff, if you will. I mean, we've lost our contact with people. And part of it is indicative of our society. They don't want what the church is selling. They don't want what we profess because there's no credibility in it. We're not walking the walk that we say we are talking. There's also the problem of irreverence. The church lacks reverence for the Lord of the church. The church lacks reverence for his word. The church lacks reverence for his plans for the church. And in light of all of her problems, our prayer is renew the church. Renew the church. See, first we must admit that we have a problem, that we're in trouble. But I would also say we must affirm that there is hope for the church. 
I mean, God's not finished with the church yet. And God's not finished with our church yet. (laughs) I mean, I believe that many of the, the most fruitful days of ministry in our body are yet to come. They're still out there ahead of our church. I mean, there's some powerful scripture passages that proclaim the victory of the church. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Folks, that's a promise for the life and the victory of the church. See, this is a church that is on the offensive I didn't say they were offensive. They are on the offensive. And they are are taking back and battering down the strongholds that the enemy has built in our society, in our lives, and in our homes. So let the church take heart. We need to armor up. We're in a battle. We need to armor up. Matthew 18, uh, verse 20. It says, for where two or three have gathered in my name, I am in their midst. (laughs) Hallelujah. Where two or three are gathered, the Lord Jesus is our hope, and so we don't need to despair. You know, in Revelation 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3, they contain these words. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As long as these words exist, there will be salvation and survival for the church. Because we have the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us. Jesus speaking to the church at Laodicea, he says this in Revelation 3, verse 20. He says, behold, he's speaking to the church. We make this about Salvation and personal salvation, individual salvation. But he's speaking to the church at Laodicea. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Ouch. If anyone, if anyone, you ever been locked out? I think we all have. Forgot our keys, locked out, went outside. Oh, I forgot my purse, I forgot my Bible, I forgot something else. If anyone will hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Wow. Let Jesus come into his church. Open the door and let him in. I mean, let him give us the resurrection. Let him give us renewal. Let him give us revival. See, we live in a society and among people who are apathetic. We really don't care because all of our needs are met. But you know what? Jesus said in John 12... Verse 24, he said, Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See, death is the key to the life of the Christian 
but it's also to the life of the church. Death to our will, death to our goals, death to to our plans, death to our self-existence. And out of that death, Christ brings new life. See, hunger for new life in the church is growing. And people believe that church is worth saving. And God's word says it can be saved. But there's another thing that we need to have. We must have an awareness that the time is short. We must have an awareness that the time is short. And here's why. You see, time is short because the church is losing its spiritual sensitivity. We're being desensitized to the world. And as the world comes in, the time is shorter and shorter for the church because we are being desensitized to the world and the things of the world. Our spiritual sensitivity is drawing away. The time is also short because Jesus is coming back. We, we want that. We desire that. Lord, come quickly. But we need to understand that time is short because people die without the gospel in their hearts every day. That makes me sad. That people die every day without ever knowing who Jesus is and what he has done for them. But today, today I have unequaled and encouraging hope for the church because our hope is in the Lord Jesus. He is our hope. Christ is present in our world and He is present with us. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The desire here is for each one of us, each of us, to commit our life to him, to his church, to his body, to his mission. Are you committed to your king? Are you committed to his mission? Are you committed to the bride of Christ? See, I believe that many of you are. You're here. It's the ones who aren't here. Those who have grown apathetic. Those that that need that recommittal of their life. I need that. You need that. We need that each and every day. I mean, King Jesus asks each one of us, Do you love me? Do you love me? Are you with me? Can I count on you? Can my body count on you? 
I mean, we have to present ourselves to him. Today, in this time and in this place, for his usefulness, so that he can use us. Because if we're going to be used by God, we have to be faithful, we have to be available, and we have to be teachable. See, if we, as living stones, build the altar, he will bring the fire. We have to care enough to build the altar.